the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything on your heart. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585, if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877 877- 630-KSLR, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, if you didn't get a chance to watch our Sweet Summer Devotion series last night with Michaela Shank, uh, do it. Uh, she's a young woman who, uh, as she testifies, was born literally in this church. Uh, and now she's at a place in her life where she's going to make adult decisions. One time she used the word, so now that I'm adulting, and uh, I think it would be really beneficial for those of you who have uh, especially young girls uh, in your families, I think it'd be great. But but I think for moms, dads, this would be something great to listen to as well. And it is available at calvarysa.com. Well, since it's Tuesday and I don't have anything going on, let me get right to questions. The first one is from John. He says, Hi, Pastor Ron. My wife and I were chewing our way through Second Samuel in our morning reading. And as we were reading chapter 11, we got to discussing Bathsheba. Without absolving King David of his sin in any way, we were wondering if it is an accurate interpretation that Bathsheba wasn't all innocent. First, was it normal to bathe on the roof, or was this her way of getting the king's attention? Second, should she have refused the king's advances? We understand that women had no rights in King David's time, but our thought is that she should have had uh, done the right thing and refused him, even if it meant consequences. Is that reasonable, or is Bathsheba, in fact, an innocent young woman who was completely victimized by David's lust? Um, John, a couple of things. You know, there is, uh, and this is recent. You would never go back into into the history and, and find an interpretation like this. But in the in the light of the Me Too movement and women who are now offended by almost everything that happens to them, um, um, th- this sort of woke, progressive, um, so-called Christian view is that she was raped by David and that she was a victim and, and David has no right to be mentioned uh, as a man after God's own heart. And, and basically they're just tearing away at the fabric of the, uh, the David's character and more to the point, I think, of the Bible itself. Um, we have to read the Bible in context 
based on what was happening in the world. And it's very dangerous to take our Western 21st century views of things and apply them, I, I more accurately say misapply them, to things that were going on. Uh, I think it is clear, and this has been the, the standard interpretation throughout uh, church history, um, that, that she was complicit in this. Uh, she knew exactly what she was doing. Uh, roofs were places where uh, people hung out in Israel. She knew exactly where she lived. Uh, she knew her husband was gone. And I think this was sort of a flirtatious relationship that went really, really too far. Uh, she knew what she was doing. David called her. She didn't protest. Um, uh, and and the, the, the reality is both people are at fault. Now, obviously, David bears the responsibility before God. He was the one with all of the power in this. But believe me, she wasn't innocent in this. Um, they probably had been flirting prior to this, but uh, this was just one of those times where things got out of hand, and, of course, the results, um, the consequences from it were extreme. So uh, I'm with you, John. This is not a an innocent young woman. Uh, again, that doesn't mean David wasn't wrong. Uh, he misrepresented God. Uh, he misrepresented um, um, his relationship to the people of Israel in that case. And he paid a really, really stiff price. Hope that makes sense to you, John. Thank you very, very much for the question. Here's a question from Anthony. Um, is it okay for husbands and wives to watch porn together if it helps us with our intimacy? Uh, Anthony, the answer to that question is no. That's a, and I, I, I'm not trying to be cruel, but, but that's a silly question. You know it's not right. Um, the marriage bed is pure, Hebrews 13 says. Keep the marriage bed undefiled. And uh, it is simply not okay to involve your wife to drag her into your sin. And if that helps you with your intimacy, you've got other issues. So, uh, no, it's it's never okay to watch porn. Um, um, and to drag your wife into your sin uh, is is just a horrible thought. I mean, I, I can't explain uh, explain it any more clearly than that. Um, Anthony, I'm going to be on Friday night. I'm going to be talking about intimacy in marriage here. Uh, using, uh, using the Song of Songs. Um, you can watch it at calvaryessay.com live at 7 o'clock um, and, and maybe that will give you some ideas. Um, intimacy in marriage is something that needs to be submitted to the will of God. Uh, intimacy in marriage is to create uh, glory for God and uh, if the marriage is pure and the marriage bed undefiled then um, intimacy will not be a problem. It won't be a problem. I hope that answers your question. The answer is no. Morgan asks this question, why isn't the church changed with the times and start allowing women to be pastors? Um, Morgan, God doesn't change. We, we serve a, non, a, a God who doesn't change. He's immutable. It's a theological term. And um, if the church changed... Uh, you know, we we serve the faith once and for all, delivered to the saints. Um, if we allow the world to change us, then we're no different than unbelievers in this world. We're no different than Israel was in their time. God wants us to take a stand for that which is right and righteous. And since the church belongs to God, Jesus is the head of the church. That's a fact made clear repeatedly in the New Testament. He gets to make the rules. And Morgan, we don't get to interpret nor reinterpret those rules. And when we start looking at the world that we live in and saying, well, well, I think this or they think this, um, then we're completely discounting what God thinks. And his opinion is the only one that matters. So Morgan, that's as direct as I can be. Um, Unfortunately, there are churches that do allow women to be pastors in complete violation of the, the absolute clear teaching of the Bible. And everybody who says, but, well, they're disregarding 
what the Word of God says. And you know, the bigger problem here, Morgan, is that we start uh, ripping through the pages of our Bibles, then we're going to end up taking out all of the stuff that's difficult for us or stuff that we don't like. We're going to take away all of the things that, that go counter to the culture. But remember this, the church is supposed to be counterculture. It always has been. It is always supposed to be. And and unfortunately, whenever the church begins to compromise, that's when we find ourselves in a position of weakening, having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Thank you, Morgan. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. This is a question from Jason. Um, Pastor Ron, I struggle with eternal security as a doctrine. If people think they are saved and secure, won't it lead them to sin more? Um, Jason, a real Christian, can't think that way. Um, You know, God is not trying to trick us into trusting him. God simply wants us to trust him. Now, I'm going to deal with this question and spend a few minutes on it because I think it's important. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says that God has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. Jason, that means that God is the guarantor. Now, if I guaranteed your your eternal security, it wouldn't mean much. But it's God who guaranteed it. Paul says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He is the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. So when he comes into your heart, and he's guaranteed your eternal security. What he wants you to do is believe it, but then he wants you to be grateful because you do feel secure. And a grateful man or woman simply cannot disobey God. So the 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 the, the people that think, well, well, if somebody thinks they're saved, well, then they're just going to keep doing bad stuff because it doesn't matter. That's somebody who doesn't really know Jesus at all. Paul says to the church at Rome in chapter 6, what then shall I say? Shall we go on sinning? And that's a response to the question where where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. And so the, the thought is as old as the New Testament church. Well, if I'm saved, I'll just keep sinning so I have fun and still get to heaven. Um, Paul's answer to that question is, God forbid, in the King James. By no means in the NIV. Shall we sin now because we can, because we can get away with it? The man or the woman who really loves Jesus simply can't live a life like that. So don't worry about what other people are doing, Jason. God wants you to trust him and enjoy your eternal security. He wants you to enjoy that he holds you in his hands. Jesus does. And the Father who's greater than he holds you in his hands. And no one can snatch you out of their hands. He wants you to enjoy that. He wants you to enjoy the fact that you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. If God is for you, who can be against you? This is a very carnal way of thinking. And, you know, uh, in years past we've had women who would call the church and say, want to know what we teach on eternal security. They wanted to be sure that if they brought their husbands here to this church, that they were going to be told if they kept sinning, they were going to go to hell. And I just said, you know, that's not sound doctrine. So, Jason, think about it differently. If you really love God, Jesus said, if you love him, you will obey him. If you love him, how could you do things that you know that he doesn't care about? I say all the time, just be with Jesus. If you're with him, would you do those same things? The answer is no. So this is one of those things where God simply says, look, this is my gift to you. I don't know a lot of Christians, Jason, who um, don't struggle at times with eternal security. I can tell you, in my 31 years of being saved, I've never, even for an instant, questioned my, my salvation. I've never had even a doubt about it. And you know what? I really believe that pleases the Lord. That's what trust is all about. Too many of us, we live like, yeah, Jesus, you began the work, but i got to finish it. And that's going to lead us to the place where the enemy can cause us to doubt the goodness of God. We can doubt the promises of God. Jason, enjoy your eternal security. And because you're grateful for it, 
then all you've got to do is walk with Jesus every day and be obedient and life will be rich, life will be full. So Jason, I hope that answers your question. Linda wants to know, do you believe in universalism insofar as God will allow everyone to get to heaven? Linda, of course not. Uh, that is heresy, plain and simple. Um, um, it's it's very touchy-feely, emotional. I had somebody once say to me, but Pastor Ron, wouldn't you love to get to heaven and find out that you're wrong and everybody's there? And my answer was no. Because that would mean we don't have a God who tells the truth. It would mean that we don't have a God who's just, that there's no eternal punishment for sins. It would also mean that Jesus was silly in dying on the cross for the sins of the world. He asked his father three separate times if there was any other way this cup could pass. And the answer to that question three times was no. And Jesus could then say, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done. But universalism, Linda, is a pernicious doctrine. It's a demonic doctrine. And it misrepresents the character and the heart of God. So uh, I, I don't know why you're asking a question. I don't know if you're on the Internet trying to, trying to figure out a way to get everybody to heaven or what. But the truth is, Jesus is the only way to the Father in heaven. He himself said it. So to believe in universalism is really to call Jesus a liar. He talks a lot about uh, eternal torment, uh, where the worm doesn't die. He talks about... Um, the everlasting nature of that kind of punishment. Ralphie says, my question is about reparations. How should Christians view them? Um, Ralphie, I don't know how Christians should view reparations. I, I, um, I'm married to a black woman, so I'm all for them. You know, if, if, if black people get reparations, then I'm going to benefit. And I say that only half kidding. But but no, I don't think it's a responsibility for us to pay for the sins of our forefathers. Certainly the, the, the issue of slavery, uh, the land theft that occurred um, in our nation's history where, where people of color um, had their property stolen from them, supposedly for the common good, but it wasn't for the common good of the people that own the land. Um, just the idea that we can suddenly make things right by paying people money. I think we found that wasn't true with the COVID incentives. Um, and I'm not equating the two, Ralphie. So, um, no, I, I just I think what we need to do is acknowledge our sinful history and move forward. And then, Ralphie, if everybody gets saved, there should be no prejudice. It's that simple. Jesus doesn't see race. He doesn't see color. Jesus only sees saved and unsaved. Race, while it is infused in everything that happens in our nation now, everything, uh, it shouldn't at all influence the life of a New Testament Christian, period. Jesus wants us to love the people for whom he died, and that's everybody. And I've said this many times in our program. Um, if you harbor prejudice against any people of color, or if you are a person of color and you harbor prejudice against those who are white, um, then you're a sinner and you need Jesus. It's that simple. So, again, I, I don't want to make a political statement here, but no, I don't think reparations uh, have any place in uh, the culture and the world that we live in. And Christians ought to be opposed to anything. I mean, anything that smacks of race favoritism. Period. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's an anonymous question. Uh, he or she says. I get discouraged when I read online about pastors who cheat on their wives or don't deal with abuse in the church, etc. If a pastor can't be faithful, how can I be faithful? Uh, Anonymous, let me tell you a quick story. Um, 
very shortly after I knew I was called to be a pastor. And I knew after I was saved about six months, I knew that I was called to be a pastor. There was a pastor in in, uh, Southern California. um, Solid Rock Radio was his program. David Hawking was his name, and and David is still around. Um, But David was uh, the pastor, a very, very popular uh, media pastor. Uh, Church was very solid. Uh, He is uh, a wonderfully gifted Bible teacher. And he was one of the two or three pastors that I made at a point to listen to every possible time that I could. And I remember being at a gym one day and I was on a treadmill and saw some newspapers, Orange County Register, uh, on one of the treadmills. And so I grabbed it and just started looking at the headlines. And the headline was Popular Orange County Pastor uh, uh, Dismissed uh, Because of Marital Unfaithfulness. And I read the story and found out it was David Hawking, and I was devastated. I was devastated. And I remember I got off the treadmill and walked over to Paula. She was at the gym at the same time. And I think I literally had tears in my eyes. And I said, Paula, look, if he can't do it, how can I be faithful? So basically I said the same thing to her that you're asking. And I can tell you, Anonymous, the devil tried to use that to keep me from answering the call of God in my life. I just thought, well, I'm going to blow it. If he blew it, I'm going to blow it. And I, I had such a healthy fear of God at that time. I mean, I, I almost just said, I, I can't do this. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit went out. But but the point is, um, you're only responsible for what you do. You can be so close to Jesus that you don't fall into sin, that you can resist temptation. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, uh, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. It doesn't say you're faithful or Pastor Ron's faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out. In other words, a way away from the temptation so that you can stand in victory over the temptation. So it's not about what other people do, Anonymous. It's about what you do. Um, I get discouraged. Uh, I get angry. Um, I hope it's righteous anger. I don't sin in my anger, certainly. Um, my heart breaks when I read of pastors. I have had friends over my 27 years as a Calvary Chapel pastor who've fallen into sin and have lost families, have lost ministries, Um some of them huge, huge, huge ministries. And uh, it breaks my heart. And when it happens, I, I just, I cry out in repentance. Sort of like Isaiah, I was praying with Paula today as we were walking this morning. I was just praying, Lord, um, with all these things that are going on now, um, Lord, we're so sorry. We repent. I'm sorry that this is what your church looks like and how you've been misrepresented. Um, But the reality is that practically I can't do anything about what other people do, nor can you. What we can do, Anonymous, is make sure that we're walking with Jesus. That's what we can do. It's the only thing we can do. We can make sure that it doesn't trap us. And when we do that, God is pleased with you, and he'll use you. When other people disqualify themselves... You can remain qualified. You can walk in the grace of God. So um, don't worry about what they've done. Again, it it, it should cause us grief. Um, But it can't make us stop doing what God wants us to do. You know, the Southern Baptist Convention is having their annual meeting right now. I think it's in Orange County, California. And, uh, you know, they're dealing with explosive reports about their neglect of abuse inside the church. We need to be concerned about those who have been victimized far more than we are about those who have either committed the sins or covered up the sins. And I think the one thing that we can all benefit from in this recent um, mess of of pastors being caught... um, in sexual sin, is we can realize that our flesh stinks and we all of us, we can all of us get caught unless we walk around 
aware of Jesus' presence. So I think that's really important, Anonymous. We've got to look up instead of looking out and around. And if we do that, then we've got the power that raised Christ from the dead living in us. So I hope that makes sense to you. These are the kind of things that that uh, we look at and say, well, these guys, what are they thinking? Hey, they're, they're humans. One other thought, you know, a lot of these pastors, especially in these cool, hip churches that are springing up, you know, their ministries are very carnal. They appeal to the flesh. And if they're trying to appeal to the flesh, their flesh is also going to get caught up in it as well. So what we need to do is go back to that place where church is about Jesus, not about being cool, not about being relevant, not about making people feel comfortable in church. In fact, the opposite is true. We ought to make people feel uncomfortable in church if they're living in sin. So that's the best I can do with that. It's a heartbreaking issue. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. Phone lines have been quiet. We'd love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand in for life, and I'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program 340-9585 before we take our first phone call today let me remind everybody that this is a happy birthday day for the United States Army. They're 247 years old today. And um, my shout out and my appreciation for all who have served. You know, on the the second Sunday of every month, uh, our announcer, who also is a producer of this program, uh, he he's talks about okay, birthdays. Um, and people, if they celebrate birthdays, we acknowledge them. And then the next week, it's anniversaries. And and uh, um, this past Sunday, uh, he saluted the Army. He said, everybody who served in the United States Army, please stand up. And we were able to give him applause and thank them. Um, but you know what really surprised me is that we had so many um, you know, we, we you think of San Antonio as an Air Force town, and we have a lot of Air Force people. But I was shocked at how many people um, were were um, Army vets. And um, again, our thank you for your service. I think the longest one that we had in any of our three services was 31 years. Um, Master. Matt, uh, Sergeant Major. Sergeant Major uh, Dina, uh, 31 years of her life she gave to the United States Army. Okay, let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I, um, I was wondering about when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified on the first day of preparation and that must mean something, because out of all the days in the year, how could it be that particular day? So I was thinking about that. Now, I've got a little footnote. I am trying to be as happy as I can that we're in 100-degree-plus weather, because I know that you and Mama Paula are as happy as a clam to have it this hot. So I just want you to know that I'm, I'm cheering on. <laughs> Good. That's, that's a lot better than complaining. <laughs> Well, Thank you, just Cindy. Look at the, we won't get a snowstorm. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm going to listen right. off the radio or on the radio off the phone. Bye. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, Cindy knows. Paul and I, our 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 ideal weather is 90 degrees. We love it. And so when it gets to be a hundred, you know, we're thinking, hey, this is great. You know, and everybody else is going so hot, but we like it. So Cindy gets it. Cindy, a couple of things. Um, um, one of the things we have to remember about um, the Passover, and Jesus was crucified on Passover day. He was the Passover lamb. So he was not 
uh, crucified on the preparation day, but but on Passover. Now they they judge days differently than we do. Their day started um, at at sun sundown, six o'clock uh, in the evening. That's a new day. So we we've got to understand that we we just look at twelve uh, hour cycles, um, but theirs were different. So. Uh, if today were 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 the Passover, um, and and at six o'clock tonight, we would say here in in Texas we'd say well it's still Tuesday, but um, um, back then they would say oh no no now it's Wednesday, so that's something we have to remember. The day before was a preparation day. That's when they made all the preparation for the Passover, but Jesus was crucified on the Passover day. So that's what it was. It's not a, a big deal. You know, a lot of times people are are flummoxed by the uh, three days and three nights. Uh, and we don't have to worry about that. Um, uh, three days and three nights is just a very Jewish way of saying he's going to be in the ground for three days. It didn't mean three 24-hour periods of time. And they always try to stretch a special Passover, and, a, and, and, and there's no need for that. The, the Jews understood clearly what Jesus meant. So uh, I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Cindy. But it's got to be Passover or his sacrifice didn't fulfill prophecy. Here's a question from Henry. He wants to know, what is the best way to hear the voice of God so I'm not confused about what I'm supposed to do? Well, Henry, the best way is in the Bible, in the Word of God. Uh, We know that the Bible was written by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God literally pushing the pins of men. And what God will do, if you've got questions about what to do, uh, God will give you answers. His Word is living and active. It'll meet you where you need to be met. And uh, if you've got some questions, you've got some direction issues, um, in, in your time in the Word, God is going to give you the direction that you need. Um, there are times, Henry, when God will speak to our hearts as well. Um, not audible voices, but just he'll speak to our heart and, and give us some sort of confirmation of what we're supposed to do. Now, he won't do that if you're not a student of the Bible. You, you've got to be able to protect yourself. And the only way you can do that is to know what the Word of God says so that you can measure the other things that are going to be spoken. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 1 says that we're to test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. And there's a lot of noisy spirits out there, uh, Henry, and, and, um, and the Word of God. I'm going to give you just a couple of examples, and I'll do it from our personal life. When Paula and I were, were told by the Lord we're supposed to go to Texas uh, 27 years ago, 1995, um, um, there was a lot of people that tried to talk us out of it. I had people that came to me and said, well, well the Lord told me not to, to tell you not to go, that you're not supposed to go to Texas. And, and, and we just knew that we were supposed to. So I could I could listen to that and I could let doubt come, but that would be to be disobedient to the Lord. Um, there's other things that the Lord has spoken to our heart. And um, uh, another example, we have a free school. I, actually, everything we do here is free now, but back in the beginning, we started a free school. Uh, I was in the Word one day, Matthew um, Jesus says, freely you've received, now freely give. And and I was struggling with how do you do a school, but but let alone a free school. And, and Jesus made it really clear, just in my time in the Word. It wasn't connected with anything that I was doing a study on. But just as I was reading the Word, God confirmed that for me from the Word of God. So I knew that that's what I was supposed to do. And the reason, Henry, that's important is because there were so many times when it didn't look like I'd made the right decision. So you want to hear the voice of God, you've got to be in the Word. Systematically, not just open it and read a little bit, but, but just be in the Word. Just in your normal course of everyday reading through the Bible, the Lord will speak to your heart. And then there are times when he will confirm um, through other people or, or just through something that he speaks to your heart when you spend some time to prayer. And, and um, the thing that, that you need to do once you know what to do, 
is make that step of faith, be obedient, but don't change your mind. Just because circumstances make it appear as though you might have been wrong. Henry, I can't tell you how many times over the years that I've gotten alone with God, usually when I'm out walking with him, and just said, Lord, I I might be the biggest idiot in the world. I might have made the worst decisions ever, but I really believe this is what you told me to do. And the reality is that it didn't look like the right thing to do. Just looking at the circumstances. We have expectations. Well, God says do this, and I do it. God's going to bless this way or that way. Uh, God's taught me not to have any expectations. But you need to know for sure. And when you know, you take that step of faith, and you don't change your mind. You don't look back. And, and Henry, the Word of God is the only way that you're going to know for sure that you're hearing the Lord. Here's a question from Juan. He says... Can you tell me what it means? Can you tell me what it means and what it looks like practically to put on love like Paul tells the Colossians in chapter 3 verse 14? Um yeah, I can. One, uh, you know, love isn't natural. I don't think love is natural for any of us. We we don't really understand what love is. Real love, agape love is a kind of love that sacrifices for the objects of the love. And we think love means where we're the object of love or love is a feeling or an emotion. What Paul is telling the Colossians to do is take off the old clothing of the old life and put on new clothing surrounded by love. Now, Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 says, And over all these virtues put on love, which is the bond of perfect unity. So what he's talking about is all the other things, the righteousness, uh, taking off uh, filthy language um, uh, and, and replacing it with, with, with godly living. Uh, we'd say taking off the bad fruit of the flesh and, and covering it with the fruit of the Spirit. But the idea here is none of that has value if you don't cover it all with love. I had a similar question earlier this week, I think on Monday. And um, uh, you, you have to put love over everything else because without love, Paul says, we're all just making noise. So here's what it looks like practically. Every day you get up, you've got to remember that God has poured out his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 5, 5. And when you encounter people that are hard to love, when you encounter difficult people, um, uh, people you just don't click with at all, You have to remember, Lord, help me to love them, not with my love, because I don't have any in there for them, but with your love. And this is just a step of faith, Juan. Um, Lord, by faith, I choose to love that unlovable person because you love him or because you love her. And to put that on every day, practically, It's going to make your life so usable. You'll be available to God every single day because you won't have any of that junk keeping you from uh, being able to be used by the Lord to minister to those people. You know, we all like to lead people to Christ. Imagine what it would be like to lead an enemy to Christ. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. It's one of the reasons they hated Jesus and they hated his teaching. They didn't want to love their enemies. And 2,000 years later, we don't either. But that's when we're really able to be used by the Lord. We're able to say, Lord, uh, this person drives me crazy, but I want to love them because you do. And I know by faith your love is in my heart. One other comment, one that, that will make this a little bit easier for you, is to pray for the people that are hard to love. Because as you pray for them, God will change your heart. The Holy Spirit will change your heart toward them. And it'll happen more quickly than you think. That doesn't happen instantly. Sometimes you're going to have to pray for them through clenched teeth, but that's okay. But that's okay. So you put on love, um, and and everybody will notice that you've been with Jesus. Good question, Juan. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Matthew writes, Pastor Ron, what do you think is keeping Jesus from coming back? He seems to be taking so long. Matthew, I'm I'm with you. Um, what do I think is keeping Jesus from coming back? We have the answer. The Apostle Peter says, patience. 
is what's keeping God from coming back right now. He is patient, Peter says, unwilling that any should perish. Now, a couple of things, Matthew, we need to remember, according to Romans chapter 11, there is a finite number of Gentiles, non-Jews, who are going to be saved. Jesus is going to come back when that last Gentile, he knows the number we do not, Jesus is going to come back when that last Gentile is saved. So there is a countdown in heaven. So from Jesus' perspective, it's not taking a long time. People say, well, he's coming, he's coming, but it's been 2,000 years. Well, Peter also says that with the Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years like a day. So if it's 2,000 years, God's only been waiting, figuratively speaking, two days. So for him, living in eternity outside of time and space, um, time is not a difficult construct. So Jesus is taking a long time. I want him to come back with all of my heart. But every day he delays is a day that we have the opportunity to share the gospel of glory with people who don't know him. Every day is a day that we have the opportunity to pray for our loved ones, family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, who don't want anything to do with Jesus. Every day, we can make the most of every opportunity, all anticipating the soon arrival of Jesus Christ. I think it was uh, Jimmy who called yesterday on the on the program, and he said, you know, I, people don't want to hear it, but I just keep telling them, Jesus is coming soon. I really feel in my heart that Jesus is coming soon. Well, Jesus is coming soon. That's why Jimmy feels that way. But soon means suddenly. It doesn't mean tomorrow. So from God's perspective, when it comes, it'll happen without warning. And then it'll be too late. So in the meantime, our responsibility, Matthew, is to tell people that he's coming soon and there is a way to escape the righteous wrath of God. Good question. You've got a call on, hold on. Oh, Matthew, different Matthew, I think, on line one from San Antonio. Matthew, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, how you doing? I'm actually from I'm doing, <laughs> I'm, Yeah, I'm doing well, Matthew. I had a question. Um, so I know you, my wife and I always talk about this, but you have been through so many experiences. So have we. But coming to the church, you know, in the past several months, past year, and y'all talked about many testimony stories on, you know, the Lord spoke to y'all, you know, just make the commitment, being obedient, you know, and, and by faith, you know, y'all talked about the Malta, y'all talked about the school, the academy, you're leaving California, come to Texas. And so when when is the time, I guess um, my question would be, I've heard pastors, I've heard sermons, and I've heard, heard pastor one time say, well, the Lord told me he in a, he had a mega church, and he was telling this, and to the church was that, you know, the Lord put in his heart that for seven years to save money to build this mega church, and uh, so for seven years they saved money and they built a mega church. Um, it kind of contradicts to what you what you would say by just being obedient, and walking in. But is there a time where there is a time where you have, you know, uh, a saving period, if you will, or say like the Lord tells you, you know, you can buy a house, but stay for five years and then buy your house. Is that prevalent in, in our Christian walk or is that contradicting to the, to the Bible? Well, Matthew, it's, it's a more difficult question than, than, than it ought to be because um, I believe that God gives uh, pastors who who will listen to him, I think God gives us each a different vision. Um, there's nothing wrong with mega churches if if uh, if if they're doing it the right way. Unfortunately, most mega churches uh, are attracting crowds the wrong way. They're they're doing it through compromise and through feel good stories rather than just proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and I've actually had pastors say, "Well, that's what I'm called to do. I'm called to just." just get new believers and have a big church. And no, our calling is to make disciples, not just to save people. Our calling is to make disciples. And I think a lot of these mega churches have completely forgotten about that. Um, saving money is certainly a good thing. Um, 
uh, our ministry here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is unique in that sense because God has told us that everything that we're to do here is to be free. Uh, we're never to ask for money or to let our needs be known. He's made it abundantly clear that I'm not supposed to worry about a building that um, um, when it's the right time, he will provide a building. And and as you know, Matthew, we think that, that we've arrived at that time. Um, but still, he he's refused to let us mortgage a building. Now, there's nothing sinful or wrong about getting a mortgage on a piece of property. It's usually the only way people can afford it. Additionally, while uh, it's it would be wrong for me, I don't think there's anything wrong with pastors who stand before their churches and say, we're going to have a building project and we're going to have a building fund and we're going to encourage each of you to give to the building fund so that we can save money up and with a goal of being able to buy a piece of property or build a building or to buy a building at a certain time. Um, but I, I just think the problem that we run into is we do what seems right to us instead of doing what God has told us to do. And for example, if I was to stand before this church and say, okay, uh, I need you to dig deep, but we need a building. And, and, and Matthew, you, you, you come here, so you know this. We can't fit anybody else in. The, the numbers of people that are coming uh, are just incredible, just unbelievable. And, um, um, you know, we cry out to the Lord, Lord, you know, you know the situation we're in. And um, still, I, I, he's, he's made it really clear. I can't ask people for money, uh, nor can I mortgage something. So he has to do it. And that's testing our faith. Our faith is, well, I can't take matters into my own hands because this is Jesus' church. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with, with building a building. Um, I think most churches that start out with a, well, you know, God's told me this is going to be a mega church. Uh, I think most of that is ego or just hoping, wishing. Um, I think you've got to prove faithful. First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says it's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. And I don't think um, anybody is going to have a mega church or a lot of people that God can entrust to them uh, unless and until they have proven faithful. And again, there's nothing wrong with having a mega church if you do it the right way and if you're still proclaiming the message of the gospel. I think prosperity churches that tell people God wants them to be rich and God wants them to be well. I think seeker-sensitive type churches that tell people that God doesn't really care. He loves you the way you are. I think churches that, that simply accommodate sin and never confront it um, I, I, the, the, those those churches don't count. And and Matthew, you've heard me say this: a motive is everything. Why do you want a big church? I can tell you, point blank, that I am the reason here at Calvary Chapel we haven't had a building a lot sooner than we are going to get one. Um, I had to deal with my own ego. I had to deal with my own motives for things, and you know, I had to get to that point, and it took me about ten years. It took me about 10 years to say, okay, Lord, I don't care. I'm content. And when you do that, then God's able to start moving you around. But but remember, every church has a different plan. Um, our job as pastors is simply to find out what God's plan is and do that without regard to marketing, without regard to um, trying to figure out a way to make our church big. Um our job is simple, just to be obedient to what Christ has told us to do. So thank you, Matthew. Hope that makes sense. Hope the baby's doing good. God bless you and give your wife our love. We've got now three minutes, you told me. Here's a question. Steve said, Paul says that we're supposed to look out for the needs of others before our own needs. Um, <laughs> who will be looking out for my needs? Steve, that's the whole point. Jesus is the one who's looking out for you. That's what we've got to understand. You know, I can look out for my own needs and miss what my real needs are. That's how conflicted I am in the flesh. So Paul says, remember, you're a minister. I say the same thing often, Steve, when I tell people when they go to church. And you'll hear me say this often on the, the sign-off on our Friday programs. I tell people, look, when you go to church on Sunday, don't go to church to be blessed or to, to get ministered to. Go to church to be a blessing to others. 
Look for people who are hurting. Look for people who are who are struggling. Look for people that you don't know. Look for people who look like they need prayer. Say, Lord, I'm available. Show me the divine appointment. And what happens when you start using your gifts to be a blessing to others, then, Steve, what happens is God is able to bless you abundantly. We can't outgive God. And so when we put others' needs ahead of our own needs, then God is the one who says, look, I can trust him or I can trust her. And now what I'm going to do is bless them abundantly. And sometimes, Steve, the blessings are so embarrassingly rich that you think, well, Lord, that's not why I did it. And he looks at you and says, I know, but I'm proud of you. So uh, if if you're too busy looking out for your own needs, then Jesus can't look out for them. And if you're having a faith to take him at his word, you look out for the needs of others. Jesus then is going to take care of what your needs are. And obviously God knows every need that you have. A lot of times you're being tested. Are your motives going to stay pure? Are you going to remain faithful? And then one day you pass that test and God just blesses you abundantly. Not this week on Sunday, but when I get back from vacation, um, we're going to deal with with, uh, Peter and the other apostles, disciples, saying, well, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, don't worry. If you've left everything to follow me, I got you covered. And that's what he does. So let Jesus take care of you, Steve. Thanks a lot. Hey, that's the end of our program today. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. It blesses me more than you can imagine. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.